Well, good morning. Welcome to Lowy Community Church. Please stand if you're able as we enter into worship. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me Say 
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are glad you can join us today. We're happy you can join us in song and worship. Um, it's great to see you here. And just a couple of quick announcements. On your way inside, you should have received a bulletin. Now, on the bulletin, we have a prayer card that says, Let us pray for you. Um, please take a second and fill out that prayer card. Let us know what's on your heart. Our prayer team would love to pray for you this week. And also on the bulletin, we have a connect card. It says, get connected with us. Um, if you're joining us for the first time today, um, if you have new contact information, if you just uh, recently switched addresses, um, go ahead and take a second, fill that out so we can get in touch, stay in touch, it's also a great way to learn about events and fun things uh, happening at the church. We just had an awesome Miracles family Christmas event on Friday. It was just a blast, so much fun. Also, on the bottom, if you consider LJCC your church home, we wonder if you would help us plan 2023 as the new year is just around the corner. Um, uh, let us uh, help us by uh, indicating um, what your commitment, your um, what you plan to give over the next year. That'll help the church uh, plan for uh, 2023. And when you do get a chance to fill that out, um, please consider it prayerfully. When you fill it out, uh, you can drop it off in the boxes by the entrance, along with ties and offering envelopes, um, and also prayer requests. Just drop them in the boxes by the entrance. And with that, I'd love to welcome Pastor Steve. Thank you, Jenna. Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, I assume all of your shopping is done. Uh, all the cards are out, right? The tree is up and looking awesome. Uh, I thought we were going to just dodge the bullet this year in that uh, both our daughters now live in Dallas, and so I thought, uh, hey... We don't need to get a tree. This is like a big breakthrough Christmas, you know. We can, we can decorate in all the, you know, the, the ways that would make it feel festive, but without the anxiety of a tree, you know, you have to go through, every, you go to Home Depot and you go through every tree on the lot, you undo them all, you, you have the guys stand there and hold them, you get people who are just shopping to hold the tree and you get 40 of them, you go, I don't know. And he's uh, um, decorated well, I mean, in our house, it's like Janet decorates it, but I'm a very, very appreciative consultant <laughs> and uh, uh, spectator. And then when it's all over, you have to take it somewhere. You have to drop it off somewhere. Our neighbors found out after a while, after 10 or 15 years, that I was dropping it off in their front yard, and they finally said, enough is enough, no more of that. Um, and then we found out that one of our daughters and her husband will be coming to San Diego for the week before Christmas, and it's like, oh, we've got to get a tree. So anyway, uh, we went and got one. And so just some tips, uh, professional uh, hacks on, on getting a Christmas tree. What you do, just follow me carefully on this one. 
you drive up to Home Depot. You don't even stop your car. You just leave it idling. You walk in. You, the first tree you see, you pick it up. You carry it over. You say, just cut it in half, however you want to cut it, and, and I'll go inside and pay. You take it home, and you're done, okay? That's the simplest way I can think about it because every tree is like it came out of a gigantic Christmas tree pencil sharpener. So they're all fine. You're going to be fine whatever you get. A uh, big question I want to ask you, uh, I, asked the, we, I, I got to speak three times on, on Friday. It was a big day, a uh, big celebration day. This room was filled with uh, the adoring parents of preschoolers. And we had three waves of preschoolers, and I got to speak three times. Uh, as you can imagine, I, I, went, I spoke twice as long as I was supposed to. So it was like a minute this year. I went up all the way up to a minute. I held them spellbound, I can tell you that. And uh, <laughs> I asked the question, why do we celebrate Advent? Because you know, some of these folks you know, are, are not believers. A lot of the people who come to our preschool entrust us with their kids. They, we don't, like if you go to a Christian school, and I've filled out thousands of, seems like thousands of, of recommendations over the years at, at various Christian schools, and they say, tell us you know, about these people and what's their statement of faith. And they have a sta- It's a whole arduous thing. Our preschool is just give us your kid. Just send us your kid, trust your kid to us, because... These folks are Buddhists and Hindus and all kinds of things. Um, they're, they're Muslims. They're, they're just coming and they want, they've heard about our school and they want their kid to be in our school. And we explain to them very carefully, you know, we are a Christ-centered preschool. Your kid is going to come home, your child, your beloved daughter or son is going to come home uh, singing Christian songs, songs about Jesus. And they're going to be telling you the scripture they're learning. And yes, we absolutely set them up for excellence in education. These kids are definitely ready in fact, they could go right to UCSD, I think, when they're doing their preschool. It is so effective. And so you have this mixed group of people. And so I want them to know, here's what we are all about. So every time I get up to speak throughout the year, graduations or different special programs, I talk about this. And how do you do that in 30 seconds to one minute? So I just asked them a question, and we're going to ask the same question today. Why do we celebrate Advent? My gosh, 2,000 years later, do we really need to celebrate Advent? Is, is there anything anybody has not yet said about Advent that you haven't heard? Pretty much, if I fainted right now, anybody at random could come up here and talk about Advent. So why do we celebrate Advent? Um, I, and I asked the question, and the, of course, in the group I was speaking to, it was like, yeah, it beats me, I don't know. I mean, but then even they started laughing, because they said, yeah, you know, obviously you're going to celebrate this. Why? Why? Uh, well, you know, why do we celebrate anniversaries? Because it would be a long, cold rest of the year if you don't. <laughs> no, uh, because there's something special about saying, wow, remember when we got married? Why do we celebrate birthdays? Uh, Mary Rule uh, was celebrating the 100th birthday of her father a couple weeks ago. Um, it's nothing, nothing but fun going to the birthday party of a first of one-year-old and watching somebody smear cake on the child's face and hope that they enjoyed it, you know? Why do we do that? Because uh, our identities are shaped by our memories. Our memories shape our identity. Let that sink in. I could also build on that and say, you know, our commitments shape our identity. And, but of course our commitments are an expression of our memories, right? Because it's our commitments that create those memories often. But everything in life uh, is thrown into that blender of memories. The experiences we initiate, the ones that are inflicted on us, walking, simply going through the, the normal ages and stages of life, it's a life filled with memories. And depending on what those memories are about, it shapes your identity in different ways. Uh, it's rare that I've ever met um, a man, very many men, who would say they had a wonderful relationship with their father. It's a handful of men compared to most, most guys. You know, if in this room we'd say, guys would say, oh, he's my, my dad was okay. Others would say, I had the greatest dad. But most guys would go, I don't know. That's a, that's a hard question. Uh, and so some memories are tough. Some people grew up in families where their parents, you know, they divorced when the kids were little, and the kids had to deal with that. Uh, there was abandonment, betrayal. I mean, think of all the things that shape your memories. Uh, think about the generational memories that distinguish our identities. Uh, the greatest generation people, uh, you know, the, the guy that just turned 100, 
Uh, there's not very many people left who were in their 90s who uh, were 18 years old walking onto Omaha Beach uh, wondering if uh, they should have maybe stayed home and worked at Yosemite or something instead of signing up for the Marines uh, or the Navy. And then subsequent generations. And then culturally, if you're an American, almost in any generation, you say life has been pretty darn good. And you talk to people from other countries, they said it wasn't so much so in Bulgaria or Serbia or Iran or, you know, and they start talking about the, you know, the, 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 the stuff that they went through. So memories are powerful, 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 aren't they? Right now, there's a big question in neuroscience concerning memory loss and identity. A big research, this is a big research issue. Uh, because if people lose their memory, do they then, by default, lose their identity? So as, at a scientific level, and then as, at a philosophic scientific level, this is a hot topic. Uh, if we lose our memory, do we lose our identity, and therefore do we lose our humanity? Big question. For any of you who have, who have walked with a loved one through dementia, uh, whatever version of that it is, uh, but especially dementia that robs somebody of their capacity to remember. You know, there's a whole continuum of, of dementia, uh, but, but whether it's an Alzheimer's or, or just a, a, other kind of dementia, there, there's this horrible heartbreak of losing somebody for decades. We lost grandma five years ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, no, she's still alive, but she doesn't know who we are. She doesn't know who she is, or Sometimes she knows who I am, sometimes I'm you know, this person or that person, and, and there's a sense of being robbed, right? Uh, there's a fellow who lived here in La Jolla um, who about 20 years ago said, you know, gosh, I want to help my wife going through Alzheimer's. Gave, at the time, it was a lot of money. He gave a million dollars to UCSD for research only to find out that all the money went into keeping her alive longer and didn't change at all her condition. And now he's put all this money and other money went with it to help people live longer with Alzheimer's. And, you know, he's going, oh. Some of you probably know who I'm talking about. So memory is central to our experience as human beings. It includes our own memories, but it also includes uh, what others remember about us. So one of the joyful things about being at a memorial service or being in the presence of somebody with dementia but then or, or at their memorial services, you get to remember for them all that they were and all that they did and all that they still are because their influence continues on. You know this because you know this personally or you, you've, you've been close enough to this to see this. But most significantly, it's who and what we are in the mind of God. You are in the mind of God Forever. And don't, don't leave me and, and, and think about, yeah, I saw the matrix, I get that. No, it, it, we're talking about the, the living God uh, has you in mind. And not in some abstract way. He knows the, the hairs on your head. And I don't know jokes. Some of you I know, you can say, well, it's easy on my head. Yeah, but I mean, he knows everything about you. He knows everything that matters to you. He knows what is drawing you forward toward him. He, he knows what is causing you to resist him. He knows the hard things, the good things. He knows the un, un, unfulfilled dreams and aspirations you have. He knows the things that you did and have experienced that you never thought would be possible. Uh, he knows you well enough to know that you're complaining about things that you should let go of. Or you're still celebrating things that are so meaningful to you decades later that it's just so good that that gift keeps on giving. You may lose your memory to disability or disease, but your identity remains with God and people. Your identity, the memory of you, remains with God and people. And so for us, contextually, theologically, uh, our identity is part of a larger reality described in the Bible, and that is that God knows who we are, <laughs> and God cares about who we are. Now the cynic, and I, I've sat in that chair, and maybe you have in different seasons of your life, would say, so where was God when? And if that's true, what about, why would he let this Big, big questions. But the fact is uh, that we are in the mind of God, in the mind of lots of people, in the heart of God, in the heart of people. 
How do we know this? It's proclaimed in Scripture, uh, the Bible, uh, rooted in geography, uh, coming forward out of history, a unified literary whole, a compelling document, 66 books written across generations and cultures, and it, it holds together. It's the most profound book that people don't read. It's still the most sold uh, book in the world. I was running an errand yesterday, and I'm driving down Claremont Mesa, and, and out in front of a, a, a church there on Claremont Mesa, there's two ladies with a sign that says, Free Bibles. And they looked at me, and they realized, this guy needs one. So they're going, you need a Bible. I was trying to explain, you know, about the lights changing, and, and where does my, how to get the window down, you know. I'm, oh, no, I have a Bible. So I'm kind of, and they're going, I didn't have enough time for them to go, are you reading the Bible you have, you know. But, so the Word of God proclaims, and, and, and then the people of God demonstrate this good news, this gift that God cares about us. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, today. So we are talking about today. And so we celebrate Advent to remember and to remind others that God came into the world for a specific purpose. That God himself came into this world, uh, which is a mind-boggling thought. Uh, how do you get your head around the idea that God, who is separate from the creation he created, as the artist is separate from whatever art they're creating, how does that um, artist enter into it? How does... Um, um, okay, some of you who are really old, and you think about songs from the 80s. Uh, was it Take On Me? Aha. Uh-huh. And, and the girl is pulled into this cartoon, and all this stuff is happening. And of course, it was this awesome technology at the time. Now you go, that's so cute. That's so clever. But at the time, it was like, whoa, this is amazing. But entering into a whole other world, a world that you shouldn't have access to, and a world that can cause us to care and feel. In that three-minute song, you're going, I really care. Then you're also thinking, how do they do these notes? Uh, so this would be one of those best karaoke, karaoke songs of all time, by the way. Uh, somebody says, yeah, I want to, let's go do karaoke. If, as long as I can pick out your song. And you sign them, take on me, and let's see what happens, right? But that powerful imagery of entering into a world that you otherwise wouldn't have access to, that's what God has done. And that's what the Bible tells us, and that's why we celebrate Advent. And Advent means the arrival of something. So what kind of world did God come into? Uh, this is where the, the Christmas songs are so powerful, so beautiful. And these are the ones you will not hear at the mall. I'm going to give you two songs that you will not hear at the mall. And you definitely won't hear the words to these at the mall. I'll give you just one line from O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining means hoping for something different. Hoping for something better. And then, and then the, a couple lines later it says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. You know, ah, oh, there is hope. It is true. God does care. He does know our deep and abiding need for what he alone can provide. That's the kind of world God came into. The one that is long uh, laying in sin and error pining. And then God's gift to us is beautifully expressed as joy in this great song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Not a trespasser, not an interloper, not of somebody who wasn't invited to the party. This is the world he created, he's coming into it to claim it as his own because he is the king, he owns it. So let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and it repeats again and heaven and nature sing. This is what praise does. Praise just demands to be repeated, to come out of us over and over and over again. You know when you're in love when you keep saying to somebody, you know, I really love you. I love you. And you find all kinds of ways to say I love you. You mean something to me. You mean more than anything to me. Uh, I don't want to live without you. Thank you for being you. So joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ, while fields and floods Rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Even all creation wants to get in on this incredible thing that God has come to redeem the world that he created and, and wants to bring back into relationship with himself. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. 
Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Why? Why? So that we can come into our right mind and our right identity. These are the memories that shape us. Uh, you've heard me say before, because we live in a, in a military town. Uh, years ago, I, I invited you know, about a dozen men, one, one woman. Uh, she was one of those women who flew the planes across the world, but they wouldn't let her go into combat. Um, but she and her husband, who was the guy that flew him into combat, and a bunch of other men who were uh, naval officers and enlisted guys, and I simply asked them to come together and to tell their story. And the most poignant stories that came out were those who were POWs, and they talked about the fact that they would they'd worship every Sunday with Morse code. And out of maybe a dozen, couple dozen people who could communicate in a part of the Hanoi Hilton, let's say, somebody would remember part of the song. Hey, there's that one that says, Long lay the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody else would complete it. Hey, there's that Bible passage. I don't know where it is. It's, For God so loved the, oh, yeah, that's John 3 16. And all of a sudden, wow, this is how powerful it is. Those memories that shape identity. And so when you ask them, how did you get through that? They would say, The food was awesome. The guards were so kind and caring. You know, it was just a vacation, it was a spa treatment. No, they would say the abiding presence of Christ. Made real through his word, made real through his spirit. That brought me into my right mind. Allowed me to not become bitter enough to just end it. You see how powerful this is? The memory that shapes identity. And this is why we remember and want to celebrate Advent. So here's what I want to remind you of today in the context of that. This is the wild thought in the context of that. God is delighted in you. God is delighted in you. Now, as I was thinking about this, I immediately found myself saying to myself, okay, what's the catch? Come on, okay, now you're just setting me up for, accept that. He detests everything you do, you know, um, because that does go with the story. There's 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 the wrath of God that detests the things that undermine our delight of God. We're going to be celebrating Holy Communion today. That God came into the world, we celebrate that at Advent, but he came to give his life as a ransom. He, he came to atone for our sin. Why? That sounds so negative and critical. Yeah, he detested the fact that sin destroys and defaces and discourages and distracts those in whom he delights. There's no human being ever born that God has not delighted in. Let that sink in. Because immediately I can think of a bunch of people. Uh, well, like one time, a, a, one of the pastors on our staff stood up and he, he was at the end of his life and he's retiring and he, he, he wanted to say goodbye to this congregational, you know, to all these people. He said, you know, I just look forward to seeing you all someday in heaven. And then he stopped, he said, except for you, and you, and you, and you, you know. But you know, God is delighted in every one of us. This is a hard thing to, you know, wait, is God delighted in and fill in the blank of the person that you detest the most? The person who has hurt you the worst, has done something horrific. There's got to be some exceptions. There are no exceptions. There's no further commentary. God is delighted in you. However, there is a context. And it doesn't erase or neutralize what I just said, but it puts it in context. How powerful it is that God is delighted in you. He detests anything that robs you of delighting in him. And the Bible describes God's delight as his love and his grace. We see Jesus demonstrating this over and over and over again. He was a kid magnet, for crying out loud. Poor people were attracted to him. Powerful people were attracted to him. Men and women, people of every age and stage in life, wanted to interact with him. Just meeting him would cause people to say, I tell you what, if I've ripped off anybody as a tax collector, I'll give him back four times what I stole. Well, that sounds like a good start, Zacchaeus. Let's see where that goes. 
He's the one who's told stories about good Samaritans and prodigal sons. He talked about people in whom nobody would find any delight. God detests sin. You see in, throughout the Bible, God talking about what he detests. Lying lips, false scales, you know, false weights and measures. He detests people who abuse and, and subjugate other people. Detests uh, means to speak against. It's a legal term. It's, it's to speak a negative witness about something or someone. It's a witness for the prosecution. It, they're talking about things that are detestable, that this is not okay. God has strong feelings about things. And because of his delight in us, he wants to create a new identity in us because we are his beloved. He wants that to be the number one memory in us, that we are his beloved. He delights in us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, Christ came for us. So that's the context. It's not, it's not the thing that erases what I said about him delighting in us. It says this is the reason. The fact that God delights in us is a radical and alarming statement to make. We have so reduced it to something trite and cliche-ish. You know, God loves you. Well, yeah, no kidding. Why wouldn't he? We're a bunch of raging narcissists. Well, of course God would love me. I have not met a person who say they're not going to be in heaven. Well, most of the Catholics I know don't feel like they're going to be in heaven, but no, I know. No, the Presbyterians, those are the ones. No, it's the American Baptists. No, it's a, most people don't feel like they're going to be in heaven. Uh, I know I'm going to be in heaven because Janet gets a plus one and I am that plus one. <laughs> I know I'm saved. I'm not sure how good a Christian I am, but I know I've got it covered with Janet. You know, he's with me. You know, oh, fine, go ahead. You know. None of us feel worthy because we think if I was sitting in that courtroom, it would be easy to detest me, to come up with any number of things and would say, this guy, this woman, they don't qualify. Because of his delightness, he says, I will make you qualified. I will wrap you in my righteousness. And here's my plan. And here's where we are celebrating Advent. He's saving us and he's sanctifying us. Sanctifying means he continues that work of salvation you're saved by grace. If you might, I would, I would guess if you have for show of hands, somebody would say, I was saved at a Billy Graham crusade. Uh, people will come up to you and say, hey, when were you saved? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a phrase that some people are uncomfortable with or they're, they're not used to hearing, but when people are comfortable talking about their faith, they'll say, well, you know, I, here's when I was saved. Or I was saved over a very long process growing up in a Christian family. And somebody else would say, well, I was a biker and I, I was saved in prison, you know after my methamphetamine conviction. I mean, you get these amazing stories. But the ongoing reality of salvation, the developmental reality of it is called sanctification. God bringing us into alignment with his purposes. Some people are so pretty together in their life, everybody needs Jesus. But some people are so together, when they finally meet Jesus and they are saved, it's like boom, they're on it. I I one time met a woman who uh, was... uh, Married to a guy who I really admired and got to know her. and I mean, she was one of these people who had everything going. Uh, she was just physically beautiful. She was kind. She had high integrity. She was a concert cellist. Uh, she was fun and funny. She was just amazing. And, and when I first met her, she was not a believer. And then a couple years later, a, a mutual friend said, hey, so-and-so became a Christian. I said, that's so neat. So when I, next time I saw her, I said, hey, I understand you became a Christian. I said, Why? I was happy for her, but I was just curious why. She goes, well, I know. It seems like I had it all together, and I felt like I had it all together. But there was still something missing. And I finally knew I needed to be saved. So she was like, boom. You wouldn't tell from this time to that time that she had made this transition from not knowing Jesus to knowing him. Now there's other people who will be saved and spend the next 40 years trying to get functional. You see what this is? is that God accepts us all because he's delighted in us all as his creation. He detests the sin that in a sense cancels us and disqualifies us from being in relationship with him. And having then saved us, he sanctifies us. And this is where it gets really interesting. This idea of God delighting in us, detesting sin, and wanting to create disciples out of us. 
the passage I'm thinking about is Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. And, 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 and this is a proverb that the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, 6, quotes verbatim. Takes it, takes, puts it in context of what he's saying and, and quotes it. My son, you can say my son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. I wish we had time to have a conversation about this because if if I started asking you questions, I'm guessing that pretty much the majority of us here would say, ah, discipline, that's punitive. Discipline is about punishment. And I'm looking at the little bubble above your head and you're saying, yeah, no kidding. Discipline is you got in trouble, you got caught, you know, detention, discipline, they both start with D. And because I had a D, I had to get discipline and go to detention. But really what discipline is, is not primarily punitive. Discipline is development. If you've never been to the MCRD, see if you can get onto the campus when they're, when they're inducting a new class of recruits, when they're getting off the bus and they're being warmly welcomed by the sergeant major. Guys, men, women, so good to have you here, part of the family. They're screaming at them. They're yelling at them. It's just horrific. And I'm thinking, I'm so glad I'm a visitor. You know, but even as they're calling out those, those commands, you start sitting up and standing up a little straighter because you're thinking, oh, I don't want to look over here. And then when you go to the graduation, 16 weeks or whatever it is later, um, you can't believe the transformation. How proud these young men and women are of what they've been through. They've survived the gauntlet, but all of a sudden they've grown. And their families are going, who are these people? I wouldn't have trusted them to take the car out. Now they're, they're ready to save the free world. And so the powerful nature of this is that God disciplines us because he loves us. Why? He is delighted in us, is what it says. Just like the father delighted in the son or daughter, they are disciplined because I want you to grow. I want you to become everything you can be. And yeah, there'll be some rebuking. If you've ever had a coach and you played a sport like any sport, Start with football. It's a constant rebuke. But then when they finish the season, they have a, they have a, a banquet. And it's all hugs and kisses about how everybody's grown and participated in the team. And then Psalm 37 says it this way, uh, instructing us, like the rest of the, and then the, the, that's the Old Testament, but then the whole New Testament really builds on this. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. There's a really good outcome. Now, it doesn't feel that way along the way. It feels like this is hard. Working out is hard. Learning a new language, learning a new skill. Uh, for those of you who play Bridge, you know that you're gluttons for punishment, right? I mean, it's just a challenging game, but once you're on it and you and your partner are working together, it's powerful. It's worth all that effort that it took to get to that place to where you actually now enjoy it. Cooking, fixing things, building things, making things, creating things, it all requires discipline. Thank God you had somebody in your life at some point willing to discipline you or you wouldn't be sitting here functional. Somebody said, I think you're better than that. I think you can do more than that. I think uh, you have given up way too soon. Oh, wow, six hours you practiced. I'm very impressed. If you do eight, you'll be even more impressed with what you've learned. Like, what? This is Herculean. No, you haven't even, you haven't even reached the limit of your potential. See, this is where the power of discipline comes in. Nobody will take the time to discipline someone. Nobody gets up and walks along the side of a pool at 5 a.m. or 5.30 with a bunch of kids swimming in it, teaching them and coaching them in water polo if they didn't care. They're doing it because they care about these kids. They care about the sport. And they know that these young men and women, when they're done with that ordeal, will say, nothing intimidates me. You will never have to worry about their work ethic or their capacity to push through pain. So you see the power of this? God delights in us, not so he can indulge us. Oh, kick back, take it easy. Don't read the Bible. It's confusing. It'll just give you a headache. Don't serve. Don't go out of your way. Don't give more than you think it's safe to give. In fact, don't even get involved. Then you won't get tangled up in people's stuff. No. The discipline is, hey, what are you doing with what I put in your hand? When is enough enough? Why do you think you have to hold on to so much when there's so much need around you? 
all of a sudden you realize, wait, you're, you're demanding a lot of me, God. He said, I'm not demanding anything that I'm not providing for. I'm disciplining you in how to take what I'm providing for you and to use it wisely, creatively, intelligently, so that you can in turn experience the delight in me that I have for you. Are you with me on this? Is this making sense to you? This is why Advent is a very big deal. And then Luke shows us how God's delight in us shapes our core identity. I love how Mary's response to the discipline of the Lord is expressed as delight. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Who am I that God would say, this is what I've called you to do, is what she's saying. Who am I? What qualifications do I have? And I guess if we could be in on that conversation, it would be something like this. Because you're faithful to me. You're willing to trust me. You delight in me. You receive my delight in you as a gift that it is. And therefore I want to call you into this responsibility that is way bigger than anything you could ever imagine or achieve. But I will be with you. My spirit will make this possible. She says, from now on, it'll be a witness to other generations. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him, who respect him, take him seriously, are in awe of him from generation to generation. You see the generational impact of this? And finally, John 3.16 sums it up this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If that's not a statement of delight, I don't know what is. So this is what we remember and celebrate at Advent, that Jesus came into the world to bring us life, even at the cost of his own. And this is why the Christmas story is so deep and moving and inspiring. It is an essential story. (laughs) Let that sink in. It is essential, not optional. It's the main course, not a little garnish on the plate. It's deep, deep sustenance, not a little bit of parsley or color. And therefore, it calls forth from us a desire to celebrate, to give gifts, and to express creativity. So don't you love all the creative traditions that come with Christmas? My gosh, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, all the Christmas traditions that shape our identity through precious memories. We had this amazing party here Friday night. It was spectacular, uh, the transformation of this campus. I I wish uh, I could show you the pictures. You would not have believed the transformation here. It was so amazing. Every room, every space in this place was created into something that was mind-boggling. And Andy back there, uh, you can get Andy's autograph later, uh, uh, he was Santa Claus. And he was convincing. <laughs> and we talked about, do we want to have Santa Claus? Well, yeah, because Santa Claus is really, um, if you follow the, the line, it's the bishop, the, 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 the fourth century bishop of Smyrna. who would give alms to the poor at Christmas, who would do all kinds of good deeds and it cost him his life. So I love all the traditions of Christmas. And when it gets a little crazy, you think, well, like, let's just trace it back and see where it all connects. I've told you before, um, uh, we've, we've had this long-time ministry for you know, 20 years uh, in Malawi, and now it's, in, it's encompassing an area the size, the entire size of the county of San Diego. It started in one area, now it's just gone crazy. It's huge. And we're, reach, we're reaching all these amazing, wonderful people. And now Muslim families and villagers are saying, would you come, would you come here? And um, what are now some of the key leaders in that nation were these younger leaders then. We started out, and, and one of them, uh, Vasco Kachipapa, uh, came to over, and we're having tea. Uh, and after tea, we're, we're going to walk out of the house. He goes, hey, can I, can I get a picture of, of the tree? I said, well, yeah, sure, yeah. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is like the reverse thing that Westerners do in Africa. I got to get it. This is a crazy looking situation. I got to get a picture of this. So the tree is just a funky, crystal pagan, weird thing. He goes, yes, yes, nobody will believe it. In fact, why don't you stand next to the tree? 
I get the whole crazy mishmash. Uh, this is what these, uh, these Americans have somehow come up with this as a way of talking about Jesus' birth. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. He's seeing us, seeing us as barbaric people who have just so distorted the story only because we are in so many ways, right? These are part of our traditions and, and they create precious memories. So I ask you, as you walk through this magical season, ask yourself how these traditions are expressing Jesus' mission. Not to be critical about it, just to say, let me call myself back into alignment with God's actual purposes that have been historically and geographically documented, and the Bible then tells me what they are. Two chapters at the beginning of Matthew, two chapters at the beginning of Luke. Uh, and so go through the, the season doing that. I'll tell you why. Because our culture is conflicted about Christmas. We all know that. We're, we're conflicted about Christmas. We have this approach avoidance thing about Christmas. I already told you about my fear of the tree. Oh no, we gotta get a tree. Once they have it, it's fantastic, but you know, it's challenging. Uh, our culture is conflicted about Christmas. We love it, but if we're honest, we would be awkward. It would be awkward inviting Jesus to watch Elf with us. Right now in our nation, Elf is the highest aspiration of Christian creativity. It's the most watched movie at Christmas time. I mean, and then Violent Santa is going to be big. You know, if you haven't seen it yet, I mean, you're, you're missing out. I mean, and so I'm not mocking our culture. I'm simply saying this is what happens when you're in conflict. You start doing creative things and pretty soon, where does it end? And where does it connect anymore? And so I find it helpful for me not to walk around being the, the uber critical of a person of Christmas, but to say, uh, what, what am I understanding? What am I seeing here? And how can I get aligned with God's purposes and understand what they might, how this might be expressing that somehow? I mean, really, um, I, it sounds like uh, disrespectful to say this, but would anyone really want Jesus hanging around for the holidays? You think about this for a second. Could your kids take Jesus to their school? Would we stop the Christmas parade that's happening this Sunday, today, on Gerard, and say, hey, we just have Jesus here, we'd like to say a few words. You'd be like, uh, hey, we got a parade to run here. You know, we, didn't, we didn't come to have a religious thing going on here. We have a parade. I'm not mocking the people who are putting on the parade. I think it's a, it's a miracle we still have a Christmas parade in La Jolla, don't you think? Every year is a big fight. Why are we having this Christmas parade? Uh, you're familiar with the term buzzkill, right? A buzzkill? A buzz is a euphoric feeling generated by just wonderful environments. A buzzkill was initially saying, I've got this buzz from getting high, and you're bumming me out, and you're killing my buzz. You're, you're bringing me down. And now it's become a generic kind of a thing about if somebody's being um, a downer, uh, you're a buzzkill. I, I, with great risk of offending somebody here, would Jesus be a buzzkill in your Christmas plans? Hey kids, family, extended family, Jesus is going to be spending Christmas with us. Oh no! Like what would that mean? Until you start reading the Bible and you go, there is nobody more interesting, fun, and humorous than Jesus. I would want Jesus anywhere at any time because it's going to get alive in a hurry wherever he shows up. You can take Jesus anywhere, he will not embarrass you. If anything, people will be saying, Where'd you get this guy? Who is this? You see, we want the delight of Christmas, but we're uncomfortable with the source of it and the reason for it. And, and we're believers talking that way. Now, if you're not a believer and you're engulfed in this Christmas stuff, you're thinking, okay, I'll take this part of it. I won't take the rest of it. Just give me some of the delight, but I, I can't go with you in the whole origin story. And so we neutralize it, we trivialize it, we sanitize it. We so easily forget the reason for the season, and what does it do? Because we forget our memory is faulty, it affects our identity. And we become self-editing people in a culture that is afraid to talk about Jesus, even on the occasion of celebrating his birth. And so why settle for distraction when God wants to give us delight? I was talking with our staff about this this week. Let's not fall into the distraction of just surviving Advent. How are we going to feed our soul during Advent? And you can imagine, I mean, uh, I could be candidate number one for being just 
distracted and bored during Advent. I'm so busy. But all of a sudden I'm thinking, no, I need to feed my soul. So I'm reading and reflecting and doing some different things just to be sure I'm staying focused on the story. Maybe that would be something you want to consider as well. Why would I settle for distraction, being busy about Advent when I could actually be delighted in the Lord and, and start to get in touch with His delight for me? And so I'm asking Him to guide me in that process. And I suggest that you ask Him to guide you as well. Don't be your own buzzkill this Advent season. If you think Jesus is a buzzkill for your Christmas planning, I guess, guess what? You're the number one buzzkill for your planning. Because you're going to try to do too much in too short a time and please too many people and get it just perfect and it's going to be not fun. Don't lose sight of God's delight amidst the cultural ways we wrap his gift and bury it in a pile. Take Jesus shopping. Thank him for what you eat and drink. Watch Elf with him. It might sound silly and trivial. It's not. You watch, whatever you watch, whatever you do, go, Lord, we're in this together. Ask him to reinvigorate your traditions and make new memories this year. Invite him to your party. Find appropriate ways to talk about what Advent means to you. Uh, you don't need to rain on anybody's Christmas parade by being overbearing and critical and judgmental and a buzzkill. Just help them see Jesus in the midst of the parade. Show them his delight this Advent. Wherever you can, however you can, try to reflect the delight that God has for people during this Advent season. Uh, about, I don't know, eight years ago uh, at the Christmas parade, I hope you go to it, it's really neat, stand there on your yard. One of the floats, and the floats are great. We were actually, our first year as a church, we had a float in the Christmas parade, and they stopped, you know, it stops every once in a while so people can, you know, see the, the you know, the entrance in the parade. They stopped, and, and we had to stop a couple times. Each time, the person talking, the commentator said, these people are so filled with joy, they kept talking about how much fun we were having in this parade. I'm thinking, isn't that great? Because it's at La Jolla Community Church. We had a big truck, we had all this stuff, we had all these costumes, we had this whole cadre of people. And they said, this is awesome. That's how it should be. Well, I'm standing there about eight years ago, uh, with, the, with the girls, and, and all of a sudden, this, this group of people are coming down, about 20 people, and in the front, they have this gigantic banner that goes across Gerard, and it says, it's on a white paper in heavy black print, you are Barabbas. I'm going, first of all, would half the people here know who Barabbas was? And they're going, uh, no, happy birthday to me. I'm Steve, I'm not Barabbas. And then if they would know what Barabbas is, what would that be saying to them? What kind of group is walking down saying, you are Barabbas? Uh, how does that display God's delight? And this was a church that's an angry church saying, this damn culture is not going to have the last word on Christmas. And I knew one of the guys in it. I'm shocked to see this guy that I knew. I said, what were you thinking? Well, this is what it means to be faithful to Jesus. To right-size Christmas. And I'm thinking, that's not how you right-size Christmas. You right-size Christmas by speaking the delight of God to the deep needs of people. And when you've earned the right to be heard, you can then gently help somebody understand what God detests and what he's done about it. We never dodge that. We just don't lead with that. So you don't need to read on anybody's parade this Christmas. Just help them see Jesus in it. Show them his delight because this is what Jesus did at the Last Supper. On that night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and having blessed it, he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. He basically said to them after this long meal, it was just filled with laughter and joy and some deep, deep, thoughtful and even confrontational conversation. Basically, Jesus was instituting a new advent. The time has arrived. The time has come. And this is what I came for. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, having blessed it, he lifted that cup of wine that was for Elijah, never touched to this day in the Passover meal. He said, this cup is mine. 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So that's how uh, and why we celebrate Advent. Because God is delighted in you. And God wants you to learn to be delighted in him. That you might be so alive in him uh, that you bring that delight with you wherever you go. So Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you that you invite us to your table. You invite us to your feast, to your supper. Uh, This Eucharist, this thanks meal, this meal of thanks is because of what you have done and because of who you are, having shown us your delight, even in the midst of the decay and the despair of a world laying so long in sin and error, pining, but now you've brought joy. Lord, as we come to this table, as we receive Holy Communion, help us to get a hint, a, a, a renewal, an infusion of that joy and that delight that is ours in you. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Uh, There's some places here to receive Holy Communion. uh, And so as you come forward, you hear words like this. This is Christ's body given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. This is for anybody who acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're not a a believer in Jesus, we're not putting pressure on you. You don't have to come forward. Um, But if you are, uh, then come forward and receive it. The cup, because these are the the, the safety COVID cups, uh, take the bread out first. Eat the bread and then take the top of the, of the juice off. Come when you're ready to receive Holy Communion. Let's continue worshiping the Lord.
Thank you for joining us in worship today. Thank you uh, for those of you watching on live stream and throughout the week. Uh, we invite you to come back next week as we continue this uh, series in Advent, talking about the joy that Jesus brings. Um, Christmas Eve, we'll have uh, one big service, but three venues, uh, two indoors, one here, one next door, and then one outside. Uh, so feel free to invite anybody you want to have uh, come. Uh, there'll be heaters outside. It'll be fantastic. It'll be really fun. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Join us for brunch out in the patio. If we can pray for you, go out to the prayer garden. Have a great rest of your day. Come to the parade. <laughs>